This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Golden Edge special edition here in the playoffs with your Game 2 recap. Adam Hill, Ben Goats, live from the Review Journal Studios in Las Vegas. Golden Knights just wrapped up a 5-3 win up in San Jose to even the series. Thank you for listening. We'll be with you throughout the playoffs. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, share, all those things. Whatever you do with your podcast, let people know that you're listening and we're here each and every game of the postseason. And Ben, it was the first win of this postseason for the Golden Knights. I'm sure they're thrilled. I'm sure there's a lot of things they can talk about to clean up, but right now it's about enjoying the fact that they got one finally in the win column. Yeah, that they even this series one to one, and what a win and a game this was. Definitely the game of the playoffs so far. Might still end up being one of the games of the playoffs when all things are said and done, because that first period is some of the weirdest, most insane, most entertaining hockey I've seen all season. I don't know how to describe what I witnessed. But I really dug it. Pretty much anything you can see in a hockey game you saw in that first period. And actually very much reminded me of the March 17th game up in San Jose. The second to last game of the season they played up there. It was one of the wildest first periods I've ever watched. And then the game kind of calmed down. And I think you saw that happen tonight. It was still a good game the second two periods. But it was a much more calm, under control, managed game. And I think that's what the Golden Knights needed. They... You know, they came out on fire, they got the three goals, and that was great, and they were excited, and they were happy, and you could tell they were pumped up. But then the Sharks kind of got that momentum. They got their three goals. They had all the excitement, enthusiasm, and momentum going. So I think for the Knights to be able to go in the locker room, calm down, take a breath, and then we'll get to the hugest play of the game, which happened early in the second period. But after that, the Knights get an early lead in the second period, and then it's a much more managed game, and I think that was very key for them. Yeah, they don't want to race up and down the ice with the Sharks. They kind of did that successfully for a while in the first period, but I don't think that's how they're going to win this series. I don't think that's how they get over the hump against the Sharks. Not that they really need to get over any humps against the Sharks. That's not how they're going to best them for four games to get four wins to move on. But it was really interesting to see them come right out of the gate firing after it took them a while to get going in game one. They had Cody Eakin score 58. Eight seconds into this game and then of course they get an early five on three against them they kill off part of that where it's now a five on four Colin Miller jumps back into the play intercepts a lazy and pretty bad Eric Carlson pass races the other way creates a two-on-one opportunity scores Max Pacioretty goes down and scores all of a sudden it's three nothing and you think oh my gosh like the Knights had a wake-up call in game one They're rolling in game two. They're going to cruise into T-Mobile Arena with all this momentum. And that still might be true, Adam, but they had an interesting path to get there after that. Yeah, the Sharks rally 
for three straight goals late in the second period. First time ever in NHL history a team fell behind 3-0 in the first period and came back to tie it before the end of the first period. It was also the third fastest three-goal stretch in San Jose Sharks history uh, as they put three on the board. You know, they scored with 3-0-1 left in the first period, and I, I tweeted, and I remember thinking, wow, that was really big for them to get a goal here before the end of the first period to get some momentum to, to, to be within two. That's a That's a key play. And then they scored twice again uh, within two minutes, and it was all of a sudden it was tied before the end of the first. So, yeah, the game changed. But let let's get into well. There's a lot of things that we have to get into about how the Golden Knights played, what they did. But let's not wait much longer to get into the call. Uh, it was an interesting one. The Sharks come out. They continue the momentum by scoring a goal right away in the second period. It's waved off immediately by the referees. This was not go to Toronto, see what's going on. We've seen so many of these replays in the review process. This was just a pure referee see it. They see contact on the ice with Flurry. They wave it off. They call interference. And not only do they wave off the goal, but the Knights go on a power play and they take advantage of it. I know that both teams saw that penalty very, very differently. It was very interesting to hear both coaches comment on that play after the game. Uh, Pete Tabor, the Sharks coach, called it devastating. Uh, Gerard Gallant, of course, the Knights coach, called it awesome. And so I think you obviously can read into that the difference uh, in results for both of those teams based on that one play. De- did DeBoer also call it a, call it a travesty? Uh, I believe so. He was just really, really <laughs> not happy about it. He did call it a travesty. I got the quote up in front of me now. And, of course, he's like, hey, that's a two-goal swing. That's a huge, huge play that he obviously was not a fan of. But it was hard, you know. I didn't get to see many replays of it from what I saw live. And then on a quick replay, you could definitely see that there was contact on Marc-Andre Fleury. He got twisted out of position so that he couldn't make that stop on the Brent Burns shot. Now, Braden McNabb was kind of right up on top of Logan Couture in front of the crease. Did he maybe bump Logan into Fleury? It was very hard to tell. So I don't think anyone's going to quibble too much with, hey, the referee was right there. He saw what he saw. He called it. He was definitive about it. But it is a very key turning point potentially in this series. Yeah, and I'm sure you know Golden Knights fans are infuriated that the that the Sharks are calling it a travesty or, or not happy with the call, and even the debate. I'm sure it makes them mad. But when you're thinking about that, think if it went the other way and how upset you would be, and you would not like the call. So I get it. And and as as sports fans, you have that right to just see the calls through your colored glasses, but. I, I'm sure Golden Knights fans would be infuriated if that call had gone against them. In the end, it goes in their favor, and it is the biggest play of the game. Now, there was plenty of time left. Could have gone either way from there, but instead of the Sharks being up 4-3, the Golden Knights score the power play. They go up 4-3, uh, and it's a massive, massive swing. As Pete DeBoer said, devastating, and you know that was a tough one for them to recover from. The Golden Knights did a really good job, as we said. From that point, they get the 4-3 lead, and then it, it's not like it was in the first period of just wild chaos. It is, let's just get back to playing solid, sound, fundamental hockey, keep it under control, manage the puck, and and try to do what we can to just play the way we want to play. And they were able to do that for the most part. Now, the penalties still came in, but they did a good job killing them off and eventually got another shorthanded goal. So the, the Golden Knights did absolutely what they had to do to win today. It's not the same kind of win as it looked like it was going to be where you know you get like an 8-1 win and just totally feel good about it, but they have to feel good about the result for sure and have to be excited that they were able to even the series and come home and have home ice advantage now. 
No, absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing is now they have home ice advantage. They're going into a building in T-Mobile Arena that gives them so much energy that they're obviously very excited to play in. And I think it's going to be very fun for a lot of those guys like Max Pacioretty, Paul Stasny, Mark Stone to experience the T-Mobile Arena in the playoffs for the first time. So that's going to be very interesting. But what the Golden Knights also have to do from here, as we know, is cut down on those penalties because it has been pretty crazy throughout these first two games. About 34 penalty minutes in game one, 22 penalty minutes again tonight. And actually, that's kind of a higher total because their game one penalty minute total was inflated by late 10-minute penalties to Tomas Nosek and Ryan Reeves. So, of course, 22 is a lot worse, I think, tonight, especially because five of their defensemen were involved in getting minor penalties. That's not what you want to see. They have to clean that up because they're probably not going to hold the Sharks to one for eight on the power play very often in these games. And they're probably not going to score two shorthanded goals that are, of course, going to prove the difference in the game very often. Those yeah. don't happen that often. No, and, and I think I think that's the key. I, I think they, they certainly figured out something uh, with their penalty kill. They were much more effective. They did a much better job. And uh, not only scoring the shorthanded goals, which is huge, but limiting chances as well. And you know, I think their ability to score their shorthanded goals is going to – uh, certainly uh, impact how the the Sharks approach their power play when they have Burns and Carlson out there. It's dangerous for them, even though it makes them very dangerous as an offense and gives them two really, really good offensive weapons uh, at the blue line. It also can lead to, uh, to odd man rushes the other way, and we saw tonight two shorthanded goals going back for the Golden Knights. But again, as well as they played on the pe- penalty kill, you don't want to have to put your penalty kill out there. I don't care how good it is. If you have the best penalty kill in the league, you still don't really want it on the ice. So that in the end, it worked out, but it's not something you want to really mess around with very much going forward. No, of course not, especially with those weapons like Burns and Carlson, who were so deadly uh, early on in this game and, of course, in game one. If you give those guys a lot of opportunity to shoot the puck at the net, they're going to find some holes and they're going to score some goals. And so those are two, obviously, guys that they have to key in on moving forward. They can't just count on those guys having brain farts like Eric Carlson did today on that terrible, terrible pass to Colin Miller that led to a short-handed goal. Those guys are going to burn you more often than the other way around if you keep giving them the puck. So you have to be extra careful, I think, moving forward if you're the Knights. Now, the flip side is the Knights haven't been this undisciplined for most of the year. 22 penalty minutes tonight is very uncharacteristic of them. So you wonder, hey, you've got another day of practice tomorrow as we're recording this right after the game. Got a day of practice on Saturday to kind of collect yourself, take a deep breath. It's 1-1. You've got home ice advantage from now until the rest of the series. Relax and play your game like you kind of did those last two periods so that you don't give the Sharks that many opportunities on your home ice. Yeah, so that's a big key for the Golden Knights, limiting penalties and trying to stay out of the box for the Sharks. One thing that they're certainly going to talk about is their goaltender situation. Now, we talked a lot about the goaltending coming into the series. In the the first game, really wasn't that much of a difference because Martin Jones didn't get tested very much, and when he did, he was good. We saw tonight the bad Martin Jones, the Martin Jones who came in uh, among the worst statistical goaltenders in the league, certainly the worst among the 16 starters in the playoffs, and a guy who had been pulled four of 14 starts against the Golden Knights over the two seasons. That is a really bad number. It got worse. It's now five out of 15 because after giving up three goals 
in the first half of the first period. He was pulled again. It's a it's a problem for the Sharks. It keeps happening. Uh, I did see that he was asked after the game, and I'm just looking on uh, some of the tweets right now coming out of the locker room. As we uh, as you said, we're right after the game right now as we're taping this. And uh, Martin Jones was asked by our, our old friend, Shang Peng, uh, who used to cover the Knights, now is up there covering San Jose. Uh, he, he was asked the question, you've been pulled, and I can actually hear Shang asking, this is funny, you've been pulled a number of times against Vegas, is that just coincidence, or what is your explanation for that? And Martin Jones' answer was, letting in too many goals. That's it, yeah. He has let in too many goals. He's he not wrong. That's It's correct. It's factual. Uh, and, and he paid the price again. Now, I certainly expect Martin Jones to be starting in net again in Game 3 when the Sharks come to Vegas. I don't know that it's an absolute slam dunk, but I think he, I think he will be in net. But, man, they have to really think about how much time they give him. It's going to be so fascinating to see how Pete DeBoer handles this goaltender situation the rest of this series. Because, obviously, you have Martin Jones, who was solid one game, completely fell apart in this one. As I said, Cody Eakin, shot from the slot, goes right in. Colin Miller creates a two-on-one, boom. Beats him short side, I believe. And then, of course, Max Pacioretty slips one and two, all in the first six minutes and 11 seconds of this game. And so that's what's so devastating for you. The Sharks, you've assembled this fantastic group of skaters. Their forwards are good and deep. They've got three really good lines. And obviously, they've got those stars on the blue line. You just can't have your goaltender lose a game from you. And while technically they tied it back up and Martin Jones didn't actually get the loss tonight, in a lot of ways, if he could have damaged or stopped that bleeding much earlier on, this is a much different game. So it'll be interesting to see if now Pete DeBoer turns to him in a hostile environment, because obviously he was starting at home tonight. Do you now trust him to go back out in a hostile road environment and not give up that many early goals again? I mean, I I think that's the thing you kind of have to. Martin Jones is their starting goaltender for a reason. Dell hasn't been good either. In fact, he's, he's been worse in a lot of ways. And Jones has that playoff experience. He took them to a Stanley Cup final three years ago. He, When he's at his best, he can certainly take them deep in the playoffs. It just ha- We just haven't seen it very much lately. So, yeah, I think going into the hostile environment, as you said, I would imagine the Golden Knights fans will be chanting his name as soon as the game starts, if they uh, if they are paying attention and they know what happens, and just try to get in his head right away, uh, don't even let the team have to do it. Get just just start it right away and try to get to him, and you know the team will follow that. I, I think it's it's something to monitor, but I don't think the Sharks have an option. I, I just I think if they had any confidence in Dell, they would probably go to him. I just don't think they do have they have it in him either. No, and I don't think there's a lot of reasons that they potentially should have confidence in him. Yeah. He was okay tonight uh he gave up just two goals i mean if you want to say just two goals one of them on the power play one of them on a william carlson breakaway and to be fair to aaron dell it's hard to stop yeah william carlson on the breakaway especially he was going full speed that was a really impressive backhand move so you know that was a hard stop for him but you gotta make some of those saves yeah. if you're the sharks goaltender and you're fighting for your life here in a you know very real high stakes situation in terms of this is the playoffs and you need goaltenders to step up you saw it just the other night in calgary where mike smith steps up and gets a big shutout for his team at home against the colorado avalanche and that was a team obviously in the calgary flames that had a lot of goaltender questions coming in and they had a guy step up and win a game for them whereas both 
Jones, and to a lesser extent, Dell wilted under some pressure tonight. And Jones did get the win in the first game, although, as we said, didn't really get tested a whole lot uh, in that game. So you know, I think I'm seeing some of the quotes now uh, from the Knights as well, Gerard Gallant talking about uh, these are two really good teams and it's still going to be a battle. We're headed home for the next two. We've got to take advantage on home ice. That's absolutely true. We've been mentioning that, that you know the Golden Knights now have home ice advantage. So your goal going in when you're playing two on the road to open a series is always to split I say that, of course, everybody wants to win both, but you, you want to split, you want to get home ice advantage out of it, and regardless of what happened in game one, as bad as they looked and you know as, as awful as it could have been for them, they rally back, they get what they wanted. They got that split, so that was big. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, our guys did a lot to help me out. They were blocking shots all night long. That was a well-deserved win, and that was certainly true. I mean, you saw it on both sides, but the Golden Knights certainly were sacrificing their body to try to make shots and try to try to block shots, not let things get to the net. And uh, we saw a very painful block shot on the San Jose side. Uh, that I mean, God, that's what guys do in the playoffs. It's brutal to watch it, but that's what they do. No, absolutely. And if you're the Knights, that's kind of what you have to do when you are giving eight power play opportunities to your opponent. Someone's got to step up and try to take one for the team. I think you saw Cody Eakin do some great work on the penalty kill tonight. Braden McNabb especially did some great work on the penalty kill tonight. He made a save, which is very impressive because obviously defensemen aren't supposed to make saves. But there he was in the crease, stopping a puck from going in the net. So I thought he was really good tonight, though he did take a penalty as most of the knights everybody did. took a penalty it was like oprah on the, just giving away prizes you get a penalty you get a penalty thank you thank you everyone but john merrill gets a penalty <laughs> thank you so, and no flurry either uh flurry got one last game no he didn't get one last game it was there was some uh, roughing rough housing in the crease but he didn't get the penalty but uh almost everyone else got one but thank you for uh going with my i got you ridiculous setup there with oprah uh, i appreciate that uh, i was actually on the block shot i was referring to logan couture who uh took a cup check i guess you could uh yeah not great he had a lot of concern for himself uh and his you know body after our, the game we'll our say. esteemed our esteemed producer here larry is trying to get us to watch it i don't want to watch it again oh i've already I've watched it, it a number of times uh, so have i i've seen it i've seen it too many times it looks brutal he, brutal he definitely did not seem uh enthused about the location he took that shot in after the game we and i do not blame him. we haven't had a clear discussion about language on the golden edge podcast i don't we have know not i don't i'm uh, dancing around it i don't yeah, know if we're allowed he, to say uh, it. he said he almost he said he felt like he had lost a body part i'll say uh <laughs> it's not really an extremity i don't know uh, how to it, it, it's it looked it was painful let's just let's just leave it at that and uh move on from it just a uh but that's what happens in the playoffs. Guys give up their body, and as as Flurry said, a Some lot of important those, parts of their body. Yeah, I, I mean, how many of her kids he has? That's probably how many he has going forward. He's never going to have another one, uh, unfortunately for him. I guess we've exhausted that the insinuations on that one. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a series that is now tied, coming back to Las Vegas, and we we talked a lot about potential lineup changes. The Golden Knights did make one tonight. Colin Miller in on the third defensive pair. With Merrill, Holden uh, was the scratch. Probably go with the same thing. I don't think you mess with it after a win. No, I don't think you do either. The forward lines, for the most part, I thought played out pretty well. I think especially that top six 
has done a good job at least matching a very talented top six for the Sharks. I mean, Max Pacioretty's already got four points in this series. Mark Stone's got three goals, which leads the playoffs right now. And, of course, you saw Cody Eakin get that first goal, so you're getting scoring from your third line as well. You could maybe have a discussion about what you want to do with uh, that third pair, especially because Colin Miller, as we mentioned, had a very, very up-and-down game, took a penalty early on, redeemed himself with that shorthanded goal, and then he actually took a, I thought, pretty unnecessary penalty later on in the first period with a cross-check, and that actually ended up getting the Knights off of a power play, getting them onto a 4-on-4. The Sharks score on that 4-on-4. The Sharks score on the subsequent power play. All of a sudden, that's 3-2. So Miller ended up getting the Sharks some momentum back at some point in this game. But usually, Jargalant doesn't really make a lot of lineup changes after wins, so I'm not really expecting anything major come tomorrow at practice and then Sunday for Game 3. Yeah, and uh, we'll find out what happens. We'll also see if there's any carryover. There was a little bit of a... Uh, a fracas right after the game. I know Evander Kane was, invo- was involved. Shocking. Uh, so much talking before the game, and I was surprised nothing happened during the game. He waits till after it was over. Uh, Cody Eakin leaves bloodied. Uh, I'm sure there was frustration there of uh, you know rallying and then and then not being able to finish the comeback and, and get a victory out of it. Uh, and certainly, so much talking had kind of bubbled over. Uh, but we'll certainly be interesting to see if anything carries over from that post game little dust up. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to me because if you're the Knights, I think you have to walk that fine line between you want to be tough and stick up for yourselves, but you can't keep going to the box, as we've said earlier. And so I thought there were some times where the Knights let their frustration get the better of them tonight. Like I mentioned, that Miller cross-check penalty was clear You know that he had been getting physical with some guys and he wasn't happy about some of the hits that he was taking. So he goes out of his way to deliver a hit to someone else, gets two minutes for it. So, like I said, if you're the Knights, you can't just go running after Evander Kane. You have to pick your spots, you have to do it legally, and you have to show him that you're going to stick up for yourself and you mean business while also keeping yourself out of the penalty box because that's what he wants you to do. He wants these Knights skaters to lose their cool a little bit, do something they shouldn't do, and then he's got Brent Burns and Eric Carlson packing him up on the power play. They're going to make him look really smart, Evander Kane, that is, for instigating something. Yeah, for sure, and and we'll we'll see what happens uh, if there's anything on the ice. We we talk about you don't want to do too many, you know, don't want to get involved in any extracurricular activities in the postseason because it costs you minutes, and that's maybe why that waited till after the game. Uh, so we'll see if anything does carry over into the play on the ice. So there's a lot that went on in game two, game three back here in Las Vegas, but there is one other thing to talk about, and I know we've done a lot of, you know, we did a bunch of videos you can check out. We were post game on uh, Facebook Live. Make sure you check those out after each and every game, but uh, road game especially. Uh, the the Nikita Gusev situation is hanging out there over the Golden Knights. There was a lot of talk about him today. Looks like he is officially released from his contract. The Golden Knights have the ability to now sign him and bring him in. A lot of people are very excited about his potential, and certainly the talent is there. But I think we feel a little bit differently about whether the Golden Knights should play him I mean, they have to get him officially locked in first, but whether they should play him in these playoffs. Yeah, so some background on Gusev. He's 26 years old, was the KHL MVP last year. I don't recall if they've named an MVP this year, but I do believe he was the regular season leading scorer. Also, so, go go to our uh, our, our uh, notes story today that Dave Shane wrote about uh, Gusev. We, uh, I know we put one of his highlights in there. Uh, you can also probably find it on YouTube, but if you check out that story up at ReviewJournal.com, 
he scored one of the most ridiculous goals in a all-star game that I have ever seen anybody pull off. Uh, I know you've you used to be able to pull that off in your hockey. Absolutely days. not. Uh, but he somehow like he put the st- his stick on the ice, put the puck on top of his stick, spun around and like threw it past the goalie. It was an unbelievable play that I I was blown away by. I watched it about fifty times today. It was insane. And I know a lot of people are passing it around on social media, but he's got elite offensive skills. He's a very talented player, and this was another example of the Golden Knights getting dividends from the expansion draft because that's how they got the yep. rights to this guy. He was still obviously in Russia at the time, and he ended up signing a two-year contract to stay there. But that is now set to expire on April 30th, but it sounds like the Russian Federation is willing to kind of tear that up and let him go early so we can join the Knights for the postseason he can sign an entry-level deal and then become a restricted free agent if he plays later this summer. What will be interesting to me is if there's even a way to get him integrated into this team and lineup on such a short notice. Because I know you see that headline that they could sign this very talented Russian player and you could get excited as a fan, but I don't know how smart it is to get him ready to go this postseason and this quickly. Because we're talking about a guy who spent, obviously, most of his life in Russia. I don't know what kind of English background he has, whether he can speak it that well. That's something I'd figure out. But you're talking to a guy who has played in Russia, all of a sudden has to move to a different continent, obviously in North America, and then a different country, United States, play in a different league, the NHL, for a new team, the Golden Knights, where he... I mean, he probably knows some people in the scouting staff for the front office for the Golden Knights, but he doesn't probably know the players. And so that's a real tough ask to all of a sudden have this guy come in and in a couple of days be like, all right, you're on the third line. Go get him, Nikita. Well, I, I don't – listen, he could show up tomorrow. We don't really know the status exactly of what they're doing. He could show up tomorrow, uh, being Saturday, at practice, and the Knights are like, hey, we're going forward. I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I think they'll try to bring him in. See if they can have him available. See if they can get him a couple practices, and you know, work in the off days. Try to get get up to speed at least with some of the things that they want to do systems wise with him. I I can foresee if they get to. I don't think they do it if they're down three two. If they're down three one, they lose both these games at home. He's got you know three days to practice, and you you say, hey, we need a we need a jump start. We need something to you know get us going. I, I could see them maybe thinking about it. No, it'll be interesting to see. I just want to hear uh, from them once they actually get him in yeah. what their plan is for him because this is, like I said, something that you really, I think, if you want to have him play in a short period of time, you're going to have to have a very specific vision of how you're going to get this guy up to speed of not just obviously playing for the Golden Knights and learning their systems. He, and he should be at, he should be at you know, playing. You know, He's been playing. So, I mean, right. he's been so he's not, level too. it's not a matter of getting him back into right. shape, but you have to have him learn your systems. And like I said, you have to have him learn what it's like to live potentially in a new city and new country and new continent. And obviously, you know, I think it's easy to forget the human side of it, but that's a massive, massive change for just a person. Yeah. And I think you've seen it across the NHL, even this season, there's a lot of, you know, high priced free age or trade deadline acquisitions that didn't end up producing with their new teams. And that's just because they moved to a new team and a new city, you know, within the continent. I mean, you saw guys that like went to Columbus, you know, like Matthew Shane did not have a great close to the regular season with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He actually just had a great playoff game tonight. 
but he wasn't great down the stretch for them in the regular season. Wayne Simmons and Mikhail Granlin, I don't think were that good down the stretch for the National Predators after they got them from the trade deadline. And that's a simple move where you're going from Minnesota to Nashville in Granlin's case and then Philadelphia to Nashville in Wayne Simmons' case. These are hard things for do, guys to pull off. Do the Knights, however, do they look and say, hey, we're different, our team is different, we did it with Mark Stone, we brought him in, he was great right away, he made us better right away, we know what we're doing. Even Mark Stone actually took a little bit of a dip in production. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, he had 11 points in 18 games, but he was on almost a point-per-game pace when they got him. So, I mean, he saw his production get cut off by almost 33% there. But the, the team played really well. No, that's true. I mean, but, he, he he gave them a boost for sure. So oh, absolutely. I, I just I wonder if they, if they see that and say, hey, we interjected this really talented guy. He clicked with our team right away. It worked, even if it didn't work for him. For his numbers, it worked for the team. Maybe we can have it happen with this guy again. I don't, I don't foresee them just throwing him in. But I like one thing is they have a spot for him because there is one. You know, the third line wing spot is open. You know, it's it right now. It's been Tomas Nosek playing there. Uh, you know, Peary gives it you know a go here and there, and they they might go to him for offense. Uh, same thing. Uh, with you know Ryan Carpenter could be in that spot as well, but those three guys are kind of fighting for that one spot. But that is the one open spot, and it would seem that that would be where they would plug Gusev in if they were to put him in. I, I just I'm very I'm very intrigued by the possibility of doing it. Oh, it's fascinating from yeah. a number of levels. Like I said, from the human aspect, but and obviously you are bringing in a really talented hockey player. And like I said, worst case scenario, if he doesn't play for you this postseason. You've got a really talented hockey player that you can bring back as a restricted free agent probably yep. pretty cheaply next season. So it was still, I think, even if he doesn't play in the po- this postseason for the Knights, that's still a win of a draft day acquisition yeah. by general manager George McPhee. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that th- all this time later, they're still pulling new dividends out of that hat of what they were able to collect on that day. But it'll just be interesting for me personally to see whether they can actually get something out of him this postseason because I'm a little concerned that it might be you know too early for him to really step up and contribute on the NHL postseason level let alone obviously it would have been interesting to see them try to break him in at the end of the regular season well we'll see if we have an update for you from practice this is uh we're Friday night right after game two Saturday one o'clock practice for the Golden Knights over City National so make sure you check us out on Twitter Ben S. Goats and Adam Hill LVRJ David Shane LVRJ he'll be back as well maybe even ed graney back in the mix at city national so follow us along on twitter follow at reviewjournal.com for all of the content that you need from all the playoffs and Nikita gusev watch 2019 is on at reviewjournal.com as well so check it out there podcasts after all the games we got the video content the facebook lives we've got you know different updates for you all throughout the playoff run the reviewjournal.com is your home for all your golden knights content for Ben Goats, Adam Hill, Larry Mir, great job holding it down, distracting us with videos over there here in the Review Journal Podcast Studios. Remember, like, share, subscribe, comment, all those things to our podcast, and just keep listening. Really appreciate you guys. We'll be here after every game with you. For the Golden Edge, Adam Hill, Ben Goats. We'll talk to you later.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.